And then for today, I know we kind of hopped around the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Gospels. Uh, so today we're going to, for this Sunday in Lent, uh, hop around again. We're going to jump into Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, I got up there 4b through 14. I'm actually just going to read uh, starting in verse 1. So Philippians chapter 3, 1 through 14. And let me just remind you, this is God's word to us. And it's given to us because he loves us. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already, am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. So the Apostle Paul is very concerned about your joy. The word joy and the words that uh, mean joy, such as rejoice in verse 1 of our passage that we just read, are found 326 times in the New Testament, and 40% of those occurrences are found in Paul's Letters. So Paul is very concerned about your joy. And last week we looked at the parable of the prodigal son as proof that we worship a God of joy, a God who in fact rejoices over finding what has been lost. And the joy of the Father should be transformative for us, for everyone, that the joy of the Father is contagious. And of course, anytime that we begin to talk about joy and what it means to have joy, we struggle to know exactly what is joy. Is there a difference between joy and happiness, for instance, is one of the questions that we often ask. And I think there's probably not much of a difference between joy and happiness and our struggle to perhaps understand what Paul means by having joy in the Lord has more to do with just how we use the word happy. Because I think when the Bible uses the word joy, it is an emotional state 
that runs deeper than how we use the word and what we mean by the word to be happy. Because almost always, and especially in Paul's letters, the call to have joy, specifically to have joy in the Lord, is in spite of our circumstances. In fact, it's to run contrary to our circumstances and what is happening in our lives, because Paul certainly cannot have been happy with his circumstances when he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. I mean, first and foremost, he's in prison. When he writes this letter, his friend and co-laborer, Epaphras, has just narrowly recovered from illness that almost killed him. This church that he planted in Philippi is undergoing trials and persecutions. And because he's in prison, he can't be there to help them or shepherd them through it. The Philippians have almost no say in the outcome of their lives. They don't have political power. They don't have the right to vote for their leaders. They have no governmental social safety nets to provide for them when they fall. They don't have so upward social mobility working in their favor. So I don't believe that Paul would say he was happy with these circumstances, with war and famine and imperial rule always over their shoulder. I don't think the Philippians would ever say, well, ain't this fun? Ain't this just a joy? They don't have to be happy, but they are to have joy. Specifically, joy in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul says. I think the best definition that I have ever heard of what it means to have joy, uh, this joy that goes beyond our circumstances, this joy that's deeper, deeper than our happiness was given by the pastor Tim Keller. He defined joy, and you've heard me say this before, is that joy is that buoyancy of faith, that buoyancy of faith that even if I am pushed down under the water, even if my circumstances push me under the water of life, I won't be held under and drown. That my joy in the Lord will always have me pop back up, to bob back up above the surface of the water. That buoyancy of faith. That is what it means to have joy. Paul is concerned about your joy. He's also concerned that you watch out for those who would try to come and steal your joy. When he talks about these dogs, these evildoers, these who mutilate the flesh, these are the people who are telling these Philippian Christians that Jesus is good to have. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like Jesus is, is cool. Like you want to have Jesus, but he's just not quite enough all by himself that you need Jesus plus something else in order to be happy. You need Jesus plus something else to be in the in crowd and belong. You need Jesus plus something else in order to be free and to have life. And Paul says, watch out. You need to watch out for these people because they're coming to try to steal your joy by convincing you that Jesus is not enough for your life. Paul says that if there is anyone who could have put their confidence in something else, especially if there was anyone who could have put their confidence in themselves to make it happen and have joy and happiness and peace in their lives, he says it was him. Listen again to what he says. 
He said, if I, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a law as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says that he was the Jew of all Jews, that nobody had more reason to boast in their works of the flesh to save them than he could. And he says, you know what? It's nothing. It's all nothing. It's empty. It's vacuous. It's garbage, he says. Verse 8 in the ESV translation uses the word rubbish. Let me just say that the word used in the Greek implies more than just your trash can that you pull out to the sidewalk, if you know what I'm saying. All those things I could boast in, all those things I could put my trust in to give me life and freedom and happiness, they are a massive pile of garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul is trashing the idea that we are entitled to have all sorts of other things besides Jesus in order to have joy. But gaining Christ and being found in him is to die to this notion that anything in your life other than Christ is our life. You can push me under the water. My joy in the Lord will have me popping right back above the surface. I can truly be free to live and to have joy because I don't need my security system of culture and ethnicity to win out. I can be free to live and have joy because I don't need my security system of political opinion to win. You can take away my free market, my free speech, my freedom to defend myself. I will still have joy. Jesus is all the confidence that you need. The rest is rubbish. Paul says. So I ask you, what is stealing your joy? What is stealing your joy? What are you not willing to suffer the loss of in order that you may be, you may gain Christ and be found in him? What is it that you're afraid of losing? What makes you panic? To the point that you lose all ability to be present in this moment. You get all up in your own head, scrambling to force something to happen or else you are going to go under the water. You're convinced of it and there's no way that you'll come back up again. The faith that Paul speaks of in this letter is this extreme confidence in the face of all that would come to steal our joy. This ability to trust that God's providential love is already surrounding us at all times, in all places, in all circumstances. That in essence, you are already in the water. Or you're already in the river, if you will, of God's love. And this flow of God's love that surrounds you at all times, in all places, you don't have to force it. You don't have to coerce it to move. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to even improve upon it. You just have to allow it and enjoy it. And that takes a lot of patience, especially when you are hurting. Faith does not need to push 
the flow of God's love because it trusts that it is already in it. You've heard me say before that God's greatest ally in our lives is reality. And it is by his grace that he is going to lead you into fear and emptiness. So that his perfect love can cast out fear and fill your emptiness. But like Paul, you have to be willing to allow that process, that loss, that suffering, the loss of all things that ultimately are going to pass away anyway. If you're going to know the joy and the faith that Paul speaks of, life is going to require less and less certitude and everything being just how you want it to be and a lot more ambiguity because you won't need perfect order all the time. You won't need to boast in the confidence of your own flesh to have all the answers, to make it happen and figure it out. It's a foolish pursuit this side of eternity anyway. You can share in Jesus's suffering loss. You can, in fact, drown and die in order that you may know you are always in the river of Jesus's love and the power of his resurrection life for you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.